Praise God. That's pretty awesome. By Jesus. Well, you know, when we, um, I just want you guys to know that, uh, that I honor the gifts, gifts of the Holy Ghost in each one of you. Sometimes when it's just nice, though, to just practice the presence of God. We're in, a, we're in an age now where there's so much information. There's so much noise that when, we, when the Holy Ghost falls, sometimes we just need to learn to practice the presence and sometimes let God speak through our inner man Amen. And we exercise the gifts. You know, my heart, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophesying and laying on hands, you know, the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost in Corinthians, my heart is there's, it's a green light. The light is green. How many know what green light means? Go. Go. Exercise. Go. The green light is on in the gifts, man. But then Paul says, let everything be done decently in order. But let all things be done. Decently in an order, but let all things be done. Sometimes we can go for the decency and the order and we don't let all things be done. We sacrifice all things for order. And to me, the interpretation there for decently in order just means let there be a flow you know um, how many know what DJs do what's a DJ do they play the music but the biggest task that a DJ has is transition from one to the next they're masters at transitioning from one album to the next and God has appointed leaders in the church to lead a service to help with that transition from one gift working to another gift working. And so I always say the gifts are green, but if a leader gives you a red light, don't take offense. Because you always have a green light. But if a red light comes on, just say, praise God, you know. I know the light is green, so if a red light comes, it doesn't mean that they don't honor what's in me because I know that the light is green, amen? And so that's just kind of a little bit of a way to flow because I don't want to be a church that is, has so much craziness or chaos that you end up thinking, well, we got to shut things down now and all things are not done, amen? So that's always been my heart. So if you hear me just kind of say, like I did today, no one say anything right now. I just really wanted to feel that sweet stillness. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to the Word of God for a little bit this morning. And the book of Titus. The book of Titus. For those of you who want to be with us on Wednesday, we've been studying the book of Titus, and um, 
I just want to um, say Pastor Lonnie and Darlene are in Mexico. Um, for those of you that are first-timers here, there are senior pastors that are on missions down there, and uh, they've taken a team down there. And uh, so they'll be with us. They'll be returning, and they'll be with us next Sunday. Amen. So keep them in your prayers. Um, and things are going good. And uh, they're working down there. They're working. I think Brother, uh, Brother Dan, as usual, you can sometimes, when I went down there, you just, sometimes that change of climate and that food and that different stuff down there, you know, that old sickness bug tries to get on you. But um, his son, Zach, told me he's doing much better today. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, go with me, if you would, to chapter 2. All right, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. I'll be reading, reading out of the King James today. Someone said, might ask, well, you know, brother, what's the best translation to use? What version of Bible should I use? And I always say, the version that you read. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's not so much we need to get caught up with what version, but find a Bible that you read. Start there. But I like the King James. And um, verse 11 says, Now for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the gracious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we have the three parts of salvation for man. We have justification, we have sanctification, and we have our glorification. In Bible school, they like to put big names on things pertaining to the scriptures. It makes you sound smart, I guess, because when you go to school, you have to study, it has to become almost scientific theology. It's okay, it's good, but I've seen a lot of men with the fire of God go to seminary and crash and burn because they turn the living word of God into a scientific textbook, and we can't do that. But, you know, in the scriptures, you know, we must have sound doctrine, as we learned on Wednesday we got to have sound theology. we got to have the fundamentals of our faith intact. Things like salvation, which they call, what is that, soteriology, things of the last days, eschatology, things of the church, you know, ecclesiology. 
Um, and in the doctrines of salvation, we have three phases, which you've probably heard me teach before. The first phase, Titus, who's receiving this letter from his father in the faith, uh, Paul, he said, the grace of God, verse 11, that brings salvation, it has appeared. It's already come. Grace has sent Jesus. He has come. We are justified by faith. Amen? We're justified. There's not a single thing that one person in here can do to add to their justification in Christ Jesus. As far as when God the Father looks at each one of us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. But then in verse 11, since the grace of God has appeared, since we've been justified, since salvation has come, it teaches us, what teaches us? The grace of God teaches us. So the grace of God has sent Salvation. It was God's grace that sent Jesus in the first place. But then Jesus said, I have to go away, so who will come? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, by grace, teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly. Another way to say that is a sound mind. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and a sound mind. Amen? Now, and righteously and godly, whereat in this present world. So we're to live these things, which the Bible school calls sanctification. All right? To be sanctified. And most of us that have been in church for a, a number of years, you know, we know these things. But when I was younger, this was abused. I was always judged on my sanctification and not my justification. Amen. You know, the holiness movement in Pentecost was a movement that we really needed. And we need holiness. But if God has already judged me at the cross, right? Then it's finished. What, so when, then what's the point of sanctification then, Jeremy? Sanctification is for the power of the witness in this present world. Because God has left the church here as a light and an example for this present age. That this is the standard that God requires. To judge the sinner? No. To compel the sinner. The Bible says that by the law is the knowledge of sin. So if by the law is the knowledge of sin, there's no way that the law could take away sin because that's what brings it to light. Amen. Yeah. But faith through Jesus Christ 
is how sin is taken away. So the church is to live according to verse 12 so that we can compel the unbeliever that this is God's standard and that they will no longer feel like, oh, I have to be that way to be in that club, but they say, how do you live like that? I can't be that way. Neither can I, brother. Neither can I. Only by grace teaches us that we should deny, all right? That we should deny. And then the next one leads into this. See, I find that each one helps the next. See, if you realize that you're right in Christ, if you're justified, if you, if you know that God is not your enemy, it compels you to want to live according to his standard, amen? Which is being sanctified, not doing what the things were. Like I said on Wednesday, you know, I don't need to be hanging out, betting on horses at the bar at Belterra, you know, trying to get my point spreads right. I need to kind of come out from that. And I don't know about you, but when I was doing that, the end road was not a happy one anyway. Amen. Amen. But then look what verse 13, so if verse 11 helps verse 12, look what helps verse 12. Look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of Jesus Christ coming back for us is what keeps us pure. Turn to me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. Keep your finger at Titus there. 1 John chapter 3. That's the, the epistle of John and not the gospel of John. And we're at chapter 3, and let's go to... Uh, Verse 2. Say amen if you're there. Praise God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. When are we the sons of God? Now are we the sons of God. Now that sons of God is is not gender-based. It's position-based. It's male or female, okay? You might have heard me say before, we need not get intimidated by masculine phrases or tenses in the Bible, okay? Because the Bible says God created man in his image, male and female, he created him, all right? So when you see man, don't think man and woman, think man, male and female, amen? You know, if you see a giraffe, you have a male giraffe and you have a female giraffe. Amen? God created man in his image. 
Male and female, he created them. So when he says, beloved, now are we the sons, that is a title or a positionship. And the son there is connected to the man. God created man in his image, and now are we the sons of God. And in other words, now are we the heirs of what God has. Amen? And the position there is of the firstborn. Jesus, the Bible says, he was the first begotten. Now, a lot of cults try to say that Jesus was not divine or he was not deity because the scripture says he was begotten. But they mistranslate that. That word begotten there doesn't mean that Jesus was born or created. It means he was the protocos or he was the prototype or he set the pattern or he was the template of what we were to become when it said, beloved, now are we the sons of God. In other words, we were heirs to God. Jesus paved the way. He was the template. He was the forerunner. And so that's what it means by begotten. But Jesus was God, amen? It said right there in Titus, didn't it? It said, uh, where did I just saw that? Uh, teaching, uh, there it is, verse 13 of Titus. It says, the appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. My God, that's, that's rich. It doesn't yet appear what I'm going to look like. What you see today is not the guy you're going to get when Jesus comes back. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Turn to the neighbor of you and say, you're not going to be the person that you are now when Jesus comes back. You're not going to be. And because of that, we should not be comparing ourselves with one another. Because what are you comparing with? You're comparing it to something that's not even going to be there. How many know if in carpentry when you if we got any people, any metal workers or any machine workers, or, or when you have a template and you cut the pattern, and say after you cut that second piece, you take the first piece and put it to the side, then you cut with the second piece, and you take the second piece and you put it aside, then you take the third. Before you know it, when you compare the first piece and the tenth piece, you're going to be off, aren't you? You're going to be off just a little bit because it only takes a little bit. Now, imagine being a center meter off for a million miles. Every mile, you're a center meter off. So what we have to do with each other is, is we 
cannot measure one another after this pattern. But we have to measure each other off of the pattern that is to come. And the only protocos or prototype that we have right now to measure each other with is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's all we have right now. So that should be our measuring stick. Now he says, it doesn't appear what we shall be, but we know, and this is our hope, but we know that when he shall appear, praise God, we shall be like him. And what makes us like him? For we shall see him as he is. See, Jesus is not the same body when he walked his earth. You know, we go to churches sometimes and we see a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but he's not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. He's a white-haired, fire-eyed Jesus, according to Revelation. He's a white-haired, fire-eyed Jesus with feet of brass, with a voice that runs like many waters. You see, and when we see him like that, whew, when we see him like that, man, we will be changed. For we shall be like him. And we shall be who he's called us to be from the foundations of the ages. Now, verse three. Now, every man that has this hope, the hope that we just saw in verse two, Every man that has this hope, what does he do? He purifies himself even as he is what? Pure. See, Jesus already says you're pure. But how many felt pure this week? How many felt pure this week? Well, the scripture here says... Looking for the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciple purifies themselves as they are pure. In other words, you are pure. You didn't feel pure or appear pure. But if you look for the hope of his return, you will get back on the template and you will purify yourself even as you are pure pure. You see, people today, and I did this, we walk around with a conscience of sin, a conscience of God as our enemy, that God is here to smite and strike and, and tear down, and, 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 and we whip ourselves. I mean, they even in the, you know, what was that, in the 1200s or, you know, maybe even earlier than that when they used to, what's that stuff? They still do it in the Philippines and other places. What's that called, fledging? Flagellation, that's it. That's the word I'm looking for. Can you imagine? They take cords bound up and they parade down aisles and they whip them themselves with the, till they bleed, thinking that this is purifying them. 
that the shedding of their own blood purifies. That is blasphemous to the scripture. For the Bible says that we are purified by his blood. It is appointed once for one man to die. Then comes the judgment, but it says by one man, not many. And all that stuff you see, don't be impressed by it. First of all, it's foolishness, okay? Second of all, it's religious pride. It's religious pride. And we're not to be, we're not to be, uh, you know. And they do it for vain glory, for vain honor. And we have that in many religions. It's in Hinduism. It's even in Christendom. So, We purify ourselves even if he is pure. All right. Now, look at Matthew 24. Speaking of our blessed hope, we saw in Titus, all right, Titus tells us you had our justification, sanctification, and what our glorification, all right? You heard me say before, Christ has redeemed us from the penalty of sin, the penalty's been paid. The power of sin is dealt with through our sanctification by the Holy Spirit. He gives us the victory over the flesh. And he does give us the victory. And then the presence of sin will be dealt with when Christ comes back to earth. That's when Satan will be bound for a thousand years, all right? Now, Matthew 24, we're looking for the blessed hope of Christ's return to purify ourselves. And we're going to go to Matthew 24, verse 44. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Look at that. Therefore, well, you know what the Bible, well, the Bible doesn't say this, but a lot of guys I like to listen to say this. When you see in the Bible, therefore, find out what it's there for. So let's go to verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch or what time slot the thief would come, he would have watched. And he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think, you do not know when the Son of Man cometh. For such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In other words, the hour that people say, I think we've got a hundred years before Jesus comes back. That's when he's coming back. Amen? I think my prophecy charts give me about 2080, Jesus is coming back. 1988, Jesus is coming back. Remember those books? 
My. Now, look at verse 48. Now, if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Notice that the servant there, this, the thing that he does wrong there is he does not deny the Lord's coming. Does it say deny? No, it says he delays his coming. My, he said in his heart, the Lord's going to be a while. So my Lord delays his coming. In verse 49, and he shall begin to smite his fellow servants. That word smite means to strike a blow continuously. Not just one slap, but continuously. The picture there is Backbiting, gossip. Tearing down, comparing with each other. Envy, jealousy, all these different things. You know, the we're not to devour one another, amen? We're not to devour. And if you don't eat God's word, you will eat each other. You can either be a herbivore or a carnivore. Amen? Bread comes from the plant. Now, he says they begin to strike his fellow servants. So the first thing he does is he tears down the church. Right? Ah, the Lord's not coming. He delays his coming. I don't know where he's at. That church is, man, they just don't have it together down there. And then, it's what does he do? After they tear the church down, then they begin to eat and drink with the what? The drunken. Tear your fellow servants down, and then go down to Belterra and have a few, and watch... I wish I was to see if he places. I wish I was, was is the name of the horse that you're betting on. I don't, you, I keep bringing Belterra because on my bus route I pass it every day. And uh, it's, it's in my brain. But you see that? So he, be, he first he delays his coming, so he's not looking for the blessed hope. Then he begins to tear down his fellow servants, and then he begins to eat and drink with the drunken. All right? And the Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he is not looking for him. Now, this is not new news. Go to Exodus 32. You guys still with me? You got a few more minutes? Praise God. Exodus 32. Exodus 32. 
Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 32. Say amen when you're there. Praise God. It's good spirit in here this morning. Now, that's good. This is only one. Now, verse 32, chapter 1, it says, Now, when the people saw that Moses did what? What did he do? He delayed his coming down the mount. The people, they gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and they said, Get up, or up, and make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We don't know where he's at. Where is he? He's not come down. He's not come down. So in verse 2, this story cracks me up. In verse 2, Aaron said unto them, All right then, break off your gold earrings, which are in your ears, And, he t- and all the people broke them off, and they gave them to Aaron. And verse 4, it says, he received them, and he fashioned it with a graving tool. And he made a molten calf. So all the people, they took off their earrings, and they said, holy cow. <laughs> and it was an utter disgrace. And I tried to milk that one. (laughs) Oh, cracked myself up. Now, you see what they did? They delayed his coming. And what do the earrings actually represent? Materialism. Titus talked about it. We learned Wednesday. He talked about filthy lucre or the obsessiveness for gain materially. You know, it's why we got a lot of problems economically. It's all for, because they're messing up the system for gain. Like, it's not enough. It's not enough. They gotta have more. And when they got enough, they gotta make sure that it'll always be enough So they got to have more. What did Jesus say? What would it profit the man if he was to gain the whole world but lose his soul? He said that after the guy built barns. And he said, wow, that's a good-looking barn. But you know what? It's not enough. I need another barn. I'm going to tear that barn down. I'm going to build me a bigger barn. And he built that bigger barn, and he said, you know, that barn is just not enough. I'm going to tear it down, and I'm going to build me a bigger barn. And when he said that's not enough, he said, I need to build a bigger barn. And does anybody ever remember that that old show, The Rich and Famous, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Remember that show? And he'd go to them Beverly Hills mansions, and they'd have one building that was just a garage, and he'd have 30 doors. 
And I'd be like, man, how do you have 30 doors, 30 cars? You know, just more stuff. But Jesus said, you fool, this day, your soul is required of you. This day. This day, your soul is required. In other words, Jesus came back. And he said, you know something? When the Lord comes back, he's going to look at your barns and he's going to say, I'm not impressed with that house. I said, Lord, make me a house of prayer. Amen. So they got, they, they got discouraged. They saw that Moses delayed his coming. They turned to Aaron. Now, this is, a, this is a type shadow. Moses is a type shadow of Christ. And Aaron is a type shadow of the church. And in the world's religious system, they are crying out to the church, the Lord delays his coming. Church, make us gods that we can worship. And the Bible calls it the whore that rides the beast. She has a golden cup in her hand, and it is filled with the blood that comes from the martyred saints. And she drinks it. And is it a representation of the world's religious system that thinks it has a platform upon the political powers of this earth. And Christ has not called us to be like that. Amen? And you know you're dealing with the religious spirit when they put a lot of value on material things. Bam! Earrings! Gold! Ooh, look at this place. Wow! Wow, Jesus said, there's going to be a day when every stone you see here will be turned upside down. Amen. The Lord is oppressed with us. Paul said, we are living stones built, fitly joined together to make a spiritual house. Amen. Hallelujah. Almost done. You still with me? Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. Praise the Lord. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. All right. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, chapter 9, verse 24. Mm. Chapter 9, verse 24 says this. For Christ, he's not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but unto heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, did he go to the temple there? Did he go to the temple mount? He could care less about the temple mount. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
What temple did he go to? He went to the real temple with his blood. You see, the temple that they're so concerned about building right now, they're just trying to build the pattern again. But the Bible says that Jesus, he took and went to the true place. He he did not enter the holy places made with hands, but he went into heaven itself to appear, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus right now is in heaven to appear on our behalf. Right now. Right now he's our advocate, just like that song sings. And I still believe your blood right now, right now, right now. That is his priestly ministry for us. The Lord makes intercession for us. Jesus is in heaven right now pleading your case. Now, in verse 25, it says, Now, nor yet that he should offer himself over and over again, or often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of what? Others. So we got two differences there. One, Jesus entered once with his own blood. The high priest entered often with the blood of of others. You see the inferior? It only covered sin. Christ's blood removes. It's that powerful. That when we plead the blood, we see the blood, we need to say, it's not, I, my sin is not covered, my sin is gone. Hey, it's not my word, it's his word. It's his word. It's that powerful. Why do you think in Gethsemane he went ahead and said, not my will, but your will? You know, it's that powerful. That's how powerful the blood is. The blood is powerful. So that right there, Verse 26 says, says, for then must he had suffered, for then must he had often had suffered from the foundations of the world. In other words, if Jesus had to die, he'd be like crucified like for every generation. But now once, say now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of his coming. And verse 27, so as it is appointed unto men once to die, so how many times will you die? Once. That's it. Just one time. And that makes sense. That's why the blood of Jesus takes away sin. Because man died once, 
Jesus died once. The Old Testament sacrifices only covered. It wasn't their blood. They did it often. They always had the conscience mindset that they were cut off from God, that they were sin. They were sinners. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes the judgment. So that Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So look at those verses. In verse 24, we have now to appear. Verse 26, you have hath he appeared. And in verse 28, you have he shall appear. This speaks of the three ministries of Christ. You have Christ the prophet in the past. He hath appeared. Christ, his priestly ministry, his intercession, he now appears on our behalf. And we have his kingship when he shall appear in glory. Amen? Now, for every one of these seasons, God has instituted a piece of furniture. The Bible says to be truly furnished, amen? God has always furnished his house, amen? Now, check this out. In the Old Testament, God had an altar. He had an altar. What does the altar do? When a man comes before the altar, he looks back at the fall of man. But he looks forward to the cross and redemption. He looks back to sin, back to where death came, and he looks forward to the cross where his sin will be taken away. That's what the Old Testament saints did. And that's what God requires the lost to do today. God requires that we repent of sin. God requires us to acknowledge the fall of man. God acknowledges us to, hey man, I'm sorry. But they got it wrong. I'm not to look for the hero inside of me. Remember that old jam? You've got to look for the hero inside of you. <laughs> Y'all never heard Whitney Houston's jam? Man, there is no, I am a zero, not a hero. Jesus is my hero. Now, Christ inside of me, there, you, know, you want to turn it around, make it, make it sanctified. I'll look for the hero inside of me. The Bible says Christ in the inner man. Praise God, amen? Christ in the inner man. But one of man's problems is he can't ever say he's wrong. You ever met somebody like that? You ever met somebody that just couldn't say sorry? You ever met somebody that just can't acknowledge their faults, that they're, they're wrong? The first step, man, is you got to come to the altar, man. You got to, you got to get burnt. And you have to say, I'm, no, I'm not right. You have to acknowledge it. That's what the altar does. The next thing that the Lord did, that was the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, God brings us a table. He brings us a table called the communion table. 
The Bible says, for as often in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do it to show the Lord's death until he comes. I love that. That's the gospel right there, the Lord's death until he comes. Well, if the Lord died, how can he come unless he was raised from the dead? The Lord's death till he comes. His death and resurrection. The table, the table, the communion table, also the Bible teaches us that when you come to the communion table, it shows your death and your resurrection. Two parts. Spiritually, it shows that you're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. As far as God's concerned, we are dead to sin. And you are raised in the newness of life. That's what the communion table signifies. The Lord's death until he comes, his death and resurrection. And so what you do is, is you have a meal, you fellowship with him. In that meal, you recognize him and you say, Lord, I want to be like you. So there's a table that the Lord has set. Now what's the table do? At the table, the believer, he looks back to the cross and he looks forward to his return, the blessed hope that we read about in Titus. He looks, the Old Testament saint looked back to the fall, forward to the cross. New Testament looks to the cross, to the resurrection. All right? That's what the table does. See, we're no longer to... Once you're walking in Christ, the sanctified life, how you make it, how you stay in the faith, how you do not get caught out like that servant that was tearing his fellow servants down and how he was eating and drinking with the drunkards. You come to the table, you look to the cross and say, man, God has forgiven me of my sin. And you look forward to his resurrection, amen. That's what the table does. We look for the blessed hope. Now, when Jesus comes for us, and he could come before this sermon's over, and man, I'd be a happy man, wouldn't you? I'd be a happy man. Praise God. Hey, I'd be happy. You know, some people are not happy about the Lord's return. They want to fulfill some things in this life. Oh, Lord, I want to. I want to get married before Jesus comes. Well, are you kidding me? You ain't, seen a, you ain't seen a wedding feast like there's going to be when he comes back. Are you kidding? There's not a wedding. I, I, the wedding planner has got nothing on what Jesus has got prepared. You know, the, that, that show, uh, the, 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 the dress, where they're all trying to find the best wedding dress. Look, there's only one there's only one uniform for that day, and that's a robe of righteousness. And it's pure and it's fine white linen, man. It's not worried about diamond and crust, lace and pearl. No, he just wants white linen. Something beautiful about white linen. You ever go to a fine restaurant? What do they lay that table with? White linen, man. It feels good. 
You ever you get them cloth napkins? I mean, you, man, things got so much weight to it, and you just put that on your lap. It's not a paper napkin that's always falling on the floor, and you're trying to find it with your foot. <laughs> man, something about that fine white linen, man, just lays right on your lap. My mom told me when you go to a restaurant, you got to put your lap, put your napkin in your lap. And boy, that linen just lays pretty right there. It never moves, man. You can't do that with that, that paper stuff. Now, when the Lord comes back, man, there's going to be a throne. And in him, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to set up a throne on this planet, on this earth, and there's not going to be no dispute of what's going on over in the Holy Land. It's not going to be a land battle. It's not going to be a real estate crisis when Jesus Christ comes back. As a matter of fact, he's going to make that land, and he's going to do it just like he promised Abraham he was going to do it. And they're fighting over West Bank and Goshen and the Heights, and they're fighting over breadcrumbs compared to what the Lord's going to establish because he told Abraham from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, from Eurasia all the way down to Egypt. It's much bigger. I mean, it's loads bigger. When he comes back, he's going to step on the Mount of Olives, and man, he's going to, his, when his big toe touches down, it's going to rattle and shake the earth so much, it's going to bust a hole wide open in that place. And it says the Dead Sea is going to flow into the Mediterranean. And what used to kill people is going to bring life. Because it's going to run right down through and out the Mediterranean. It's going to be such a topographical change. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to be right there, praise God. And he's going to set up a throne. He set up an altar in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he sets up a table. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to set up a throne. In the nations of the earth. And what we're going to do is, is what the nations are going to do, because when he comes back, he's going to go to war for them. And so when they approach the throne in the millennial reign, they will look back and they will say, remember the Lord's return, how he defeated the nations, how he defeated the tyranny, how he defeated the evil, how he brought peace to this corrupt land. And men at the throne will look back to when the Lord came to rule and the, the good that he accomplished. And then they will look forward to when the Bible says he will make, take all things and he will put all things under the Father's feet. And then the Lord will start with a fresh heaven and a fresh earth. And everything's going to be all right. Amen. Let's stand to your feet. Amen. The Lord is good. So remember, man, you got to put furniture in your house. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Y'all love Jesus this morning. I love you guys, man. I love you guys. Brother, why don't you come up and close the service? Amen. We love you, man. 
Oh, before you do that, we're going to have, uh, right after you, we're going to have Brother Rick blow the trumpet. Come on up here, Rick. Sure. Praise the Lord. Yeah, Bill. Bill, we need all the trumpets we can get, man. Make sure their mics are on, too. You smell good, man. What do you got on? <laughs> Love you, man. Praise God. We're going to let him, cl- you're going to close, and then they're going to, and when you're done, they're going to blow us out. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, uh, somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. God is good, and uh, glad to be here. Uh, I just got back uh, uh, home uh, uh, this Monday from Pakistan. Everything went, went really good, and uh, we we uh, done something great uh, over there. Uh, but I will share later, um, some other day, I will come and give you the details. Let's uh, bow your heads and, and um, uh, thank the Lord uh, for the sermon. Uh, a great word uh, delivered today. Uh, we are going to pray um, for ourselves and we're going to pray for uh, the great man of God, uh, uh, Brother Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, and going to pray for um, the each other, and going to pray for the country, and going to pray for the persecuted, going to pray for uh, whatever we can uh, remember. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful morning. Thank you for uh, this uh, great fellowship, Lord. Thank you for uh, bringing us to, uh, to your church. Lord, uh, uh, thank you for, for uh, uh, this life you've given to us. Many are the, many the people that are not alive today, but we are. And thank God that we are in your altar. We are uh, to, to be grateful with you, Lord. Lord, this sermon, the, the word you've uh, given to your people should not leave um, when they leave this church, but stay with them uh, when they go home and, uh, and live with this sermon and be blessed. Lord, uh, touch each and everyone in this church and this church in your name, that above name, above every name, Jesus Christ, grow every day, every day. And many people uh, shall uh, be healed through this church spiritually and physically and prosper uh, financially. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that you use your uh, servant more and more and more. And thank you for allowing him to serve you. Lord, uh, bless his family as well. And bless uh, the man of God that is traveling, Pastor Loney, and uh, his uh, uh, team, his wife in Mexico. And we know you are there uh, too. And you are using them. Protect them, Lord, and bring them home safe. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy that is new every day. We are praying for this country, United States of America. Lord, uh, we know that this country is the leader of the world. We know the president is the leader of the presidents of the world. Lord, we pray that you protect him from the evil. Protect him, Lord. We pray 
that you have done. You have done amazing things through him. We know he's not perfect and nobody's perfect on this earth, but only you, God. Lord, we pray that you shake this nation and bring this nation to your knees, to your altar, Lord. Lord, we pray that you seek, you, you heal the sick. Lord, spiritually, you, you open the eyes of this nation. Lord, because we know the time is very short. You are about to come, Lord. You are about to come. It's time to repent. It's time to get healed. It's time to receive salvation. It's time to get ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdoms are about to be shaken. Lord, I pray, I pray that you keep this fire going in the lives of everyone in this building. Lord, the fire of the Holy Spirit never dies, never dies any moment. We never get disconnected from you any moment. We never get tired of you. We never get tired of speaking to you. Lord, thank you for your word, your, the relationship between you, between you and us. Thank you, Lord. We, uh, we receive this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.